Would you like to find out how to align your life with God's best? I'm Lisa Pulliam, founder of More To Be and host of this podcast. And I believe that the more we seek God and study his word, the more he'll transform us to become like Jesus and equip us to impact this world with kingdom hope. That's what a life aligned with his best looks like. And that's our mission at More To Be, to become more like Jesus. This episode is sponsored by our More To Be Sisterhood. You can join the sisterhood at academy.moretobe.com and get access to a library of biblically-based resources and coaching opportunities. We are so grateful for our sisters from around the world who make this podcast possible. And now let's jump into this episode of the More To Be podcast and seek God to equip us to think biblically and live transformed to be more like Jesus every day. On this episode, I've invited Barb Bruce to join me once again for a conversation on race. So Barb, welcome back to the More To Be podcast. Well, Lisa, it is an honor for me to be back with you and uh, all of our friends who are listening today. Yeah. And so the reason I've asked you back uh, is that I read an article that you wrote uh, on your website and it was called or is called from a black friend to my white friend. And you are my black friend and I am your white friend. And so I said, this is written for me. I'm going to read this and see what this is about. And you wrote it after when we found out about the murder of Ahmad Aubrey and you did the run. You know what? I did more like kind of a, a jogging, like a jogging, walking kind of thing. Yes. Um, and so it was a 2.23 for the day that he was killed. Um, because I went a little jogging, I did like 2.24. Gotcha. So you you got out there and you you had your time. I feel like it was like your time with the Lord, really, of what do I do about this? And what do I say? Yeah, I wasn't planning on saying anything. Um, I run. Um, I'm a walker. And that day here in Ohio, uh, it was right before Mother's Day. It was very cold outside. And so I had on a winter hat and a jacket. And uh, I really just needed to walk because um, I couldn't figure out how to do anything else. Uh, my skin cells were so agitated. Um, mm. I, like everything was just hurting. And the, that walk over the course of that stretch in time, um, I was not going to write a blog post. I wasn't going to post about it. I wasn't going to hashtag about it because frankly, I've been there, done that. Mm -hmm. And the part that was stunning to me is uh, I don't love writing blog posts and that whole entire blog post showed up on the walk. And mm. I can spend three, four hours obsessing about a blog post. I came in and that thing got typed out in about, it was less than 30 minutes. Yeah. I call that the God download, <laughs> right? It was right there. And, and the context is that you wrote that I saw it just a couple of days ago, but since the time of writing that we have lost George Floyd, we lost George Floyd, a name that we will remember. Um, as well, and he was murdered by a police officer. Uh, and so reading that article that you wrote gave me exactly what I needed to sit down with my family over dinner and have a conversation. And these are not new conversations for our family. We, we have these conversations, but we have had these conversations from a white perspective, right? 
And, and you gave us the opportunity to have these conversations from a black perspective. And it was so helpful to, to be able to consider how to look at the questions differently. Well, what I love is the fact that a around your dinner table, there were intentional conversations about race. Uh, our mm -hmm. kids, my kids are just a little older than yours, but uh, you've got bigger kids. And what our kids are used to, they're used to seeing lots of friends of different races because yeah. of the world we live in and social media and things. But what, what is so vital is that there are intentional conversations around the dinner table because that's where our children begin to form their parents' opinions on race really impact families. And so what you have been doing has been, when we talk about change, change starts around the dinner table. It starts, it starts in our neighborhoods. So I just want to say thank you for, for really just taking that over the years and saying we have to do this because that's, yeah. that's crucial, crucial if we want to break free from where we're at. Right. And it's interesting because, you know, my backstory is, is this part. I grew up in a, a white, 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 white world, um, a Jewish Catholic, pretty much is the world that I grew up in. And my, like you're saying, my perception on race was very much formed by the influence of my parents. Uh, even, even such like my, the racial dynamics in my home were, no, you're not going to go to a school in the South because they don't like Jewish kids, right? So like there was a different dynamic of a racial profiling that my parents are very sensitive towards of like, you can't go there, you can't do this. And so I did see color and I saw um, race and religion and ethnicity as threat was really how I grew up. Um, and then I married Stephen and we ended up at a boarding school that it was international. So we had 40% local from my hometown and 60% international um, and, and nationwide. And so we were in a melting pot with students. There was every nation and tongue represented at our dinner table on a regular basis and in our home. And I remember the first time my, um, my son, I think it was said, mommy, you know, why, why is so-and-so's skin a darker color than my color? And, and, you know, that was the first time we had that race conversation uh, of why do we have different skin colors? He didn't see her as different. He wanted to know why he couldn't be as dark as, as she was. And she was our babysitter. So um, it was interesting to raise my children in an environment where there was no such thing as we separate because we're different. It was always we come together around the table and then we moved to the environment that we're in now. And the first time we set foot in our church, I said, where are all the people of color here? Why are we in, in non-diversity? I mean, it was very uncomfortable for us to be in that environment and living outside of Philadelphia at this point this, the kids' school experience has brought race very front and center because there are racial divides and they're trying to figure out how to build bridges. And that's where I want you to educate me as I educate them on what is, um, what is considered offensive. 
what what should I do and not do? Because you described in your article that there are kind of two responses from white skinned people, which is deer in headlights or the staring game. And so kind of unpack that and 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 guide us along here. Well, and and that's a great place to start. And and for the audience frame of reference, uh, yes, I am an African American woman. I don't know if they could pick that up from a voice or not, but <laughs> up in us. I grew up in the suburbs. I grew up and um, in my community, it was about 95% Caucasian, 5% black. All the black people lived in one corner of town. Uh, I went to a high school that uh, my, our high school had, I don't know, 15, 1600 kids. And it was, uh, I grew up in an upper middle class, middle class, upper middle class community. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were, I don't know, maybe 20 of us. And so it was a predominantly white high school. Um, mm. um, I was married, my uh, former husband, he was Caucasian. And so I'm the mom of three biracial kids. And so uh, I was married for over 25 years. So half of my extended family. So I wanted to set that frame of reference for yeah. a, in just to be so that the audience understands that um, especially when we talk about race, the reason why I say deer in headlights or the staring game uh, is because it is the response often is um, a fear. Fear is the very first thing that strikes. Um, but the thing about fear is that is that self-focus. Fear is mm -hmm. um, what about me? Fear is not necessarily have the eyes on, wait a minute, but what's happened to them. So there's an action that's happened that we're looking at and staring at, but our response is based on how we feel. Yes. What I, right. And so what I want to encourage folks is to first uh, think through and go, in order to engage in this conversation well, we have to take the focus off of ourselves. Uh, mm. when you hear people use the language to have their eyes opened or to see. Uh, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and they had the fruit for the first time, what, is, what does Genesis 2.25 say? Their eyes were open and they felt shame. There was a moment when they saw reality for what it was and they could not turn a blind eye to it. Right. So that is the very first step for anyone out there who says we can't keep doing this but in order to see things as they are we have to get out of the environments that that basically have insulated us or sheltered us and so that's why i love you having people over for dinner uh, to make sure that in a neighborhood if you're not used to seeing a person of color in your neighborhood that should probably change because yeah. people of color come to your neighborhood Trust me, they are counting the number of people of color there. And, and uh, for us, less people of color means less safety. So to make your neighborhoods, to think through and go, how do we make sure that people of color, um, that's not a, a purple squirrel in our neighborhood. So yeah. just being able to open one's eyes to what is the people that are, people are having a different experience than me. What is their experience? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that is absolutely true in a, in a hundred different ways. And then, but how do you do that? Like, how do you get, how do you change neighborhood demographics? I watched the video that you had shared on your blog post. I mean, this is something that is going back 
years and years and years, decades, where neighborhoods have been defined by our financial institutions uh, and, and our educational system and our tax brackets. Like, how do we change, change that? Like, what's the first step that I take? Well, the very first step is thinking through and going, I have got to know some people of color somewhere. And yeah. if you don't know any people of color somewhere, then you start serving in your community or find a community. I have a dear friend of mine that I went to high school with. Uh, she grew up on the fancy side of town. Her parents, her dad was a principal, her mom was a teacher. She grew up affluent. She was one of my, she was in my wedding, one of my dearest friends. Mm -hmm. Her husband, they live in a very affluent area, but she made the decision that she would begin volunteering for the local for a local organization. And she has spent the last number of years simply raising funds to buy tennis shoes for kids. And mm. doesn't just raise money, but she visits with the kids. She hangs out with them. She gets to know their parents. She drives from her very large, gorgeous home into downtown Cleveland multiple times a year. And she intentionally puts herself in places where she gets to meet people and make friends. I love that. So you're saying, and this is so, so, so critical. It's not, it's not the handout. It's not the financial. You feel good because you took care of something, but it's you'd build a relationship and then meet a need which is Jesus, which is Jesus. And, and, and when people are going to serve, I've been serving during the pandemic. I've been serving at the local United way, handing out meals at the local library in our community. Well, that's where people are going to meet a variety of people and you get a chance. You serve with a variety of people. So mm -hmm. chance to serve with people I would not normally meet. And as we're serving, we get a chance to know each other's stories from behind our masks. So if someone is listening today and they go, well, how in the world do I bring people of color in my life? Uh, the best way to do it is to volunteer for local organizations. And if your community mm -hmm. doesn't have a lot of diversity, there is a community around you somewhere, whether it's yes. in a community, it could be uh, a Native American or, but a community somewhere or like my friend, yeah. I mean, she drives a good stretch so that she can serve in another city. It just all depends on how important it is to you. Right, right. And it, it's, it's also how aware are you willing to make yourself, right? So when I, um, I had this trip that my husband and I were able to go on for his work uh, situation, and we ended up going to Hawaii. And when I was in Waikiki, I could not believe the poverty level and the homeless population, mental health crisis. And I was so like shocked by it that I ended up doing some research when I was there about what was happening there. But then uh, we got home and the car that was bringing us, you know, transportation service was bringing us from the airport back to our house, went away we didn't normally go. And I realized the Lord just washed over to me like, Lisa, this is in your backyard. You just choose not to look. And will you look and will you do something about it? and and you know began to do the research and so this is another thing just go online and start googling the demographics of your area the median income and start looking at which areas is the highest level of poverty which area is the highest level of taxes and you'll begin to find those neighborhoods that people 
could use the support in and the relationships and the connections in. Uh, and so it, 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 the information's there if we want to look for it. Well, and, and part of having the information, uh, I am a Bible teacher. So for those in your audience who are hearing me for the first time, uh, I am primarily a Bible teacher. And so I, I look at everything through the lens of the gospel. I also spent 14 years working for my local church. Mm -hmm. When we have the gospel presented to us, it's information that's coming at us, information that's good for us. But for a lot of people, they do not want to say yes to the gospel message of Christ because their heart has not been willing yet. So for um, it's good to know that there's information out there. But what I've realized is that um, my, uh, my conversations with people and what I'm seeing in interactions information is not the problem it's willing mm -hmm. to see is the yes uh yeah. it is the willingness to 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 observe first before leading with questions uh it's the okay. willingness to to understand someone's experience before applying assumptions so the very uh, it, that part of seeing is also part of willingness to go, I am going to look at what's in front of me and I'm not going to apply my life experience in an area where my life experience should not be applied. That's just awesome. So let's role play that for a second. Can we do that? Absolutely. I mean, because I think as practical as we can get, um, say I'm sitting down with you for the first time and I want to really get to know your story a question that I might ask you is, help me understand what your life was like growing up. Absolutely. And, and so for me, I get a chance or someone gets a chance uh, to talk about, um, I like it saying, hey, find out about how people celebrated holidays. That is, mm. that is, that is rich with cultural significance. Uh, ask about um, conversations that they overheard their parents. They're going to talk mm. about a single mom or the absentee dad. They're going to overhear. I overheard my parents talking about the problems that uh, my dad would have at work. Again, my community was 95% black. My dad, who worked really hard to try not to let us hear all of the stories, but we would hear over, sto over stories about people putting KKK jokes on the wall or people calling him the n-word behind his back so when you ask people those things hey what did your parents talk about at night that you overheard or tell me about how you celebrated the holidays or tell us or tell me about times when people judge you because of your skin color like let's call a spade a spade yeah yeah absolutely so what was the last time so you felt judged because of your skin color and how did you navigate that? So uh, in the blog post, I write about, uh, there is a community that is less than 10 minutes from my house. And uh, this community, it's a, it's a weird community because I live in a city and this community is right in the center of our city and it's kind of annexed. And uh, I have to drive through this area of town. It's the fastest way to get to my favorite ice cream place. My girls and I go to this ice cream place often to celebrate. So every time I drive through this community, they, um, they have not, they have a reputation um, for, they just, they've built up a reputation over the years where people who share my skin color, our lives are a threat. 
Now, there are documented legal cases as well as a lot of perception. All of that results in me going, wait, am I speeding? Oh, do I? Now, I haven't had a speeding ticket since the year 2000. Yeah. But do I have my driver's license? Oh, I have to drive under the speed limit. And I'm going to hold my breath every time I drive by a cop. And I am a 47-year-old college-degreed mm. woman, and that is my posture every single time I drive through that community. Now, <sighs> am I going to get a speeding ticket? Probably not. But everyone is afraid of things, and fear is not always na- na- isn't always rational. But right. I have enough documented evidence to go. George Floyd, when he woke up that morning. He didn't think he was going to die. When he got caught for forging a check, dude did not think that he would die for making a mistake. Mm. So for those of us, when folks wonder why people of color are so sensitive, it's because people are dying for things they shouldn't be dying for. Right, right. Absolutely. I mean, there is no... um, That would not be an irrational fear right? You're not, you're not struggling with an irrational fear at this point. There are a lot of, uh, and again, with my background and my life experience, I hear lots and lots and lots of questions from a certain segment of majority culture. And so questions like, well, if they didn't commit a crime, then they wouldn't have put themselves in danger. There are lots of people who are committing crimes where death generally should not be a part of the arrest process. So right. this is the part of uh, where it's um, where we want to ask, where we want to see things not from our perspective. And the only way we can do that is to get to know more stories of people whose life experience is different than ours. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When we were having this conversation around the table, so you you posed five different ways to think about the most common questions that are heard. And and I just want to read these. You said, uh, one thing you hear is is white skinned people saying, um, what did he or she do to cause the cops to do or somebody to do this to them, right? So we, we automatically have this response of they deserved it. How come they deserved it? What was the trigger that caused it, right? And, and and that's not the question to ask. <laughs> the question to ask is, uh, what would you say? The question to ask is not what caused it, but what are the facts that led this to happen? Yeah, why, why would someone believe that they had the right to take his life or their life? Yeah. Um, why, was the per- why was that life not protect- protected? Um, yeah. Why, why is... Why are um, why is it the knee jerk reaction to question the person that was killed versus the one who did it? Um, Ahmad Arbery, I remember reading so many comments of people saying, "Well, why was he? In, he shouldn't have been in the house that was under construction." And uh, our friend Susie Eller, who is another speaker, yeah, she wrote a blog post recently, and Susie said. In my neighborhood, I go into houses in con- under construction all the time. If the walls are open, she goes, I walk around and I look and see things. She said, never once did I think that someone would think that I was a burglar and kill me. 
Yes. It, and right. So there are again, there are um, there's a there can be, and uh, when we talk about these things, for those who are um, who feel like I'm saying that all white people are racist, I am. Yeah. No. Saying that what I'm saying are this is a place where we all have to examine our blind spots, and this yeah a blind spot for someone and an opportunity to see with a new perspective. So I love that because in the coach training course, we have a practice coach scenario where a pastor uh, asks a person to be in a leadership position. And I see a blind spot out five out of every six of my students in that situation, that the role of pastor inherently must carry some measure of authority that if there was an ask, it was a merited ask. And the reality is that that pastor may be plugging a hole or filling a need or paying a, you know, a bribe off or whatever, like just because there's an ask does not mean that the right thing for that person is to take that leadership position. Uh, right? right. And so this is the same problem with what you're talking about. It's the presumption that the officer or that the white person has not done anything wrong because of the color of their skin or their position, as opposed to saying, what is going on with this person that they could murder somebody in broad daylight with, you know, like there is a bigger issue. And last night when Emery got fired up, when we were sitting around the table, my, my, response to this was what was the culture of the police department that you have two adult men one standing by in the case of george floyd and and one committing that the heinous act of murder what was the culture what was the backstory what happened long before we even got to that moment and we need to be asking those questions I have a group of uh, three friends and uh, we all worked for our church together. Uh, they're still on staff. I'm a full-time speaker and author. And uh, it, so our context and we all were in leadership. And, uh, and so we have been having our own continuous thread and these are all Caucasian women. And apart from me, they've all been on their own separate journeys regarding this. And um, in, in talking with them and in our text thread, because they have all kinds of small kids, uh, they said that one of the greatest struggles of this all is that the, that the willingness to see means that now they have to go back and question their whole life experience. Mm -hmm. And they said that that feel, this actually was this morning's conversation. They said it feels overwhelming now to have to go back and put on a different pair of glasses, we mm -hmm. look at how they live their lives because mm -hmm. now they're seeing things that they didn't see before and uh, they're trying to figure out how to go, okay, now there are feelings of guilt that pop up and shame that pop up. Mm -hmm. uh, my only context is the first time I went to Africa and the first time I went to Honduras. And I remember standing in both of those countries in deeply impoverished areas. And I remember feeling overwhelmed because I was a woman with the same skin color as both as the people around me. And I thought, oh my goodness, look at all the opportunities that I have. Mm -hmm. My eyes being opened didn't mean that I had to be ashamed of what I had. 
I could feel that shame, but what it meant was I had to be a better steward of what I had been given. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what it ultimately means. Because again, I had to take the focus off of me. As yeah. long as we're, as long as the um, process becomes mired in shame and fear and guilt, that's why people aren't going to want to engage in it. No, no. Yeah. Right. Because then how do you move forward? So, so that leads to this next question. Um, you've heard people say, why do black people insist on black lives matters? Don't all lives matter? And this has been a conversation that we've tried to understand as a family and your answer, like hit it out of the park. So can you explain how we should look at that instead? So Black Lives Matter, uh, and I, I remember doing, I actually did a video for this for my church staff, because I was the only Black person on church staff of 120 people. And mm-hmm. I don't necessarily love running around with the hashtag Black Lives Matter, but the principle is so important. Black mm-hmm. li- yes, all lives matter. All lives are precious to God. Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter is a crowd cry. That's, that's mm-hmm. all it is. It's a crowd cry that says, in the middle of the fact that all lives matter, black people are dying for being black. So that means that even though we're saying all lives matter, black lives appear to matter a little bit less. Yeah. And uh, so I used the illustration and I know it was a little inflammatory, but I wanted to bring it home. And the illustration was, imagine being at a party with 100 people spaced six feet apart, social distance, and if someone came in, a white supremacist, somebody holding a Confederate flag, and they had a gun, based on U.S. population, there'd be 12 or 13 Black people in that group of 100. If Mm -hmm. a person with a flag came in, or a white supremacist, um, yes, fear would reign, but the cognizant white person would go, wait a minute, the black person would immediately dive behind white people because they would yep. know that their lives were more at risk. So the whole yeah. premise of Black Lives Matter isn't to undermine that all lives matter. It's just that black people are dying for being black and black people want to call attention to that. Yep. That was the best explanation I feel like I've ever heard because I've struggled with that. I've, I've been guilty of saying, well, white lives matter too. Why are we separating apart based on the color of our skin when we're supposed to be coming together under the Lordship of Christ? But the problem is it's, it's naivety of me to think that we are together under the Lordship of Christ, that we are living equally when we're not. And, and, and so that is, am I willing to admit that we're not and, and say, okay, and I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay that, that I have the privileged life because of the color of my skin and my sister does not, or my brother does not. And so uh, I think, I mean, just uh, for the audience, um, that we can all just take a deep breath here because um, those are hard words to say and those are courageous words to say And so uh, I just, I want to leave some space in a moment because um, the ultimate goal of all of this is, at least for me, it isn't that we want, that Black people want white people to 
um, fall down on their knees and say, we're so sorry, we shouldn't have, like, that's, that's not the end goal of this. I believe that God, because when we look in the scriptures, when God created Adam and Eve, he embedded in their DNA different colors and cultures. And we know this because after the flood, Noah's three sons were sent to repopulate the earth. And from Noah's three sons came different colors. So God intentionally planned for us to have different colors. And after the Tower of Babel, different cultures. So I have to believe that in the midst of our, our ongoing struggle with race, that there is something, there are lessons and blessings that God wants, not just for black people, not just for people of color, but there are lessons and blessings for all people. So this isn't just the struggle that black people want white people to behave a certain way. It is the quest, just as you, whatever the journey you've been on, there are awarenesses, there are lessons, and I think that there are blessings that you've discovered in your own journey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think the, the place that I resonate the most or that the Lord has quickened my heart to the most is my own struggle with fear for a variety of reasons. We all struggle with fear in different ways, but I'm in a season of God exposing the places of fear in my life and what it's like to live under that bondage. And I, I have the privilege to take that issue of fear and, and bring it before the Lord and say, help me navigate through this and give me courage where I did not have courage because there is not a, a threat to my external being, right? And so understanding and having compassion, and that's the other place that the Lord has been bringing me to, is that the one attribute I think that defines Jesus the most, at least the way I see him in this day and age, is his attribute of compassion. He would see and then respond with compassion. And the number of times throughout the New Testament in which Jesus saw the hurting, saw the broken, saw the hungry, saw the, the wounded, the bleeding, and kind of told the disciples and the crowds, wait, I got to take care of this, is, is what is like on me, you know, of, of, okay, I understand fear. I understand that my, the call before me is to walk in compassion, and my eyes have to be open in order to do that. And that is a, that's a hard, yes, that's a hard yes, but it, it's a necessary one if we're looking to do what I say we're all about it more to be, which is to become more like Jesus. Then, then it's either you say yes to that or you don't. And I, I don't want to be on the side of don't. When I think about um, some of the voices such as yours and, and some of the other voices that, uh, especially in this last season, what is beautiful to me is, um, is watching the willingness to wrestle because the wrestling is such a hard thing to do. And when we feel that frustration over race in our country, um, things can't change until people are willing to wrestle. We can pass laws, we can do all kinds of things, but it's the human heart. And I, I am 
I am encouraged when I hear voices like yours, Lisa, who say, I'm going to be courageous enough to want what God wants for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I appreciate your encouragement. And I'm thinking, I'm not the courageous one. This is, a, you know, you're, you're the courageous one because you're willing to, to write and speak and, and give humility. Like you write with grace and humility and truth and you create the beginning of a dialogue that, that we have the choice of whether or not we want to continue to have. And, and, and that's important. And of course, you know, when I read in your story about your fear of driving through the neighborhood, um, you know, God works with us over time. So in high school, my, my 18 year old for three years in high school dated a awesome, loving, black boy, you know, and, and even in saying that, I'm like, am I supposed to call him African-American? Am I supposed to call him black? I mean, that's where I don't want to offend. Right. And so, um, in his experience, like his mama didn't want him to get a driver's license because she was scared to death of him getting behind a wheel for the same reasons that you're scared to drive through that neighborhood. I'll never forget the night that we sat around the table having that conversation. And I'm thinking, that is the most awful thing I've ever heard that that is a reality in our day and age and would not have known it had they not been together for that. You know, that, that was a, um, that was the beginning of the opening of my eyes. Let's put it that way. So this is not a new opening. It's more of an opening that even my family, like I had already, after reading your article yesterday, preparing to go tell the family we're going to read this and discuss this, that I need to have Barb back on to have this conversation and, 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 and just stir the pot in people's lives of like, what are they talking about? What are they thinking about? And when I shared it with the family last night, they said, you're going to have her on for the podcast and have the conversation, mom. This is something you have to do because this is something we've been talking about as a family. What is our responsibility and our roles as believers? And to not stay silent. And for those who who really want to have the the next steps solidified per se, because um, I'm all about next steps. Yeah. Um, it, the big picture is the next step is what does it look like to to see? And so the the first would be to have the conversations at home, uh, whether you are married, single, single again, with or without kids. Um, but to have conversations and to talk through questions around your dinner table, because that's, that's where the heart, that's where the intimacy happens. That's where the vulnerability can happen. And uh, so it has to happen there. And then your neighborhoods, yeah. making sure that people of color are coming in and out of your neighborhoods. You, they may not have to live there. But making sure that that's you're bringing them in your neighborhood, you're encouraging your neighbors, so that that um, because our neighborhoods again are another that's where we feel safe. So yeah, culture sure that everyone feels safe in our neighborhood at all times. So a person of color feels safe, and then then somebody in their front yard when they see a person of color feels safe. So that's mm -hmm. the first thing: start at home and in your neighborhood. The second is to uh, build community volunteer so that you can meet people not just serve people of color who are in need but to also meet people of color that you can serve alongside of them 
So it can be at your United Way, it can be at any local agency, um, but get to know people in your community who are serving, who look to mm -hmm. you. And that's where you'll start being able to ask some of those questions and find out those stories and, and have mm -hmm. those conversations. And then the third thing uh, is to challenge yourself. And that really is about prayer. And just go, God, what is it that you want to do in my heart? And, mm -hmm. and let God lead from there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, it, I'm so glad you went there because there's a particular passage that my Bible has been open to all day. And it's completely of the Lord. It's in First John chapter 3. And I, this is where we need to get our hearts before God on, right? Um, verse 11 says, For this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers or sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid his, down, his life down for us. We also should lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone in this world's good goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him. How does God's love resign in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. That should create tension for yeah. those who hear those words, because love is an action. The same love that Jesus displayed by coming and in order to rescue us he laid his life down for us uh, for some of your listeners today i know that many of them because you've influenced them many of them have been standing up and speaking out and they've probably been smacked around a little bit for it yeah. on social media but they are showing love and it's costing them a little bit but that's yeah. what love does love does cost love's not suicidal but it is sacrificial. And, and in this season, if we're called to love, that is part of, that's part of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To love, to be God's love. And actually what I had wanted to go to was chapter four and the Lord just stopped me there. So I will leave that as a commissioning for homework for those who are like, what does God's word have to say about this? And, and we're not gonna find a passage that says anything about color but we are gonna find a passage of how to treat those who are made in the image of God and, and how, how we rep Jesus in, in our daily life. And we're called into account for that. And so that is my hope and my prayer is that uh, we, will, we will find unity. I will not give up hope on that, the side of heaven, and that we will find love and justice uh, hand in hand um, hey. in my prayer. I am you in that prayer. Amen. Barb, would you want to close us in prayer today? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, God, I am reminded, God, whenever I stand and I look, God, up at the heavens and the beauty around us, that even in the midst of all of the ugliness and 
the, the groanings of our earth, God. The Lord God, you are still in control. And the same God that you created calm out of chaos in the universe, God, I believe that that is what you desire to do inside of each one of us. And so God, I pray that as the, the, the sisters who are listening, as they are wrestling and grappling with what they've heard, that God, that their prayer today would be, Lord, what do you want me to do? Change my heart, God, for wherever it needs to be changed. Open my eyes, God, for what you need me to see. God, I pray that for each and every one of us, that your perfect love will cast out our fear of the journey that lies before us, that we will love, that we will have compassion, and most of all, God, that we will lead with the grace of Jesus Christ. We ask yes. in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Barb, thank you so much for having this bonus conversation under sad situation, um, but, but opportunity for us to speak truth with grace. And I thank you for that. Well, I thank you for just having the courage the just the desire and the willingness uh, to to let this part of the gospel be a part of the conversation and so uh, i appreciate you and thank you you're welcome thank you for listening to the more to be podcast i pray that you've experienced a fresh encounter with god and his word during your time with us today if you're ready to take the next step in aligning your life with God's best, but not sure what that looks like, head over to moretobe.com slash align to take our quiz and find out. May you continue to think biblically and live transformed to be more like Jesus as you seek to join God in his work every day.